Good morning and welcome to Heartlands here on Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. As we gather on this Sunday, this third Sunday of Lent and after St. Patrick's Day. And so our music today is going to have an Irish feel to it. Some of them are old Irish hymns. And also joining me today is Pastor Dominic sharing with us about the life of St. Patrick and what took place in his journey. One that we assume we all know what it was about. And so it is good for us to reflect on that because after all St. Patrick is the reason that we have Christianity on these shores for so, so many centuries. Added to that, Reverend Rosemary Lindsay is joining us with her reflection this time for this month, looking at the lectionary scriptures for today. And we look forward to her words of insight and wisdom to us also. But with no further ado, let's have an Irish tune. This is a home recording by one of God's servants called How Lovely Is Thy Dwelling Place, based on Psalm 84, a beautiful piece of music. Take a listen. We're reading from Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of food. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Thank you, Charlize, for reading Psalm 63 to us. Folks, tell me this. How is things going with you in reading the book of Job? Now we're into a slugfest, where his three friends are just unloading theological argument against theological argument upon the poor man as he lies there in his suffering, as he lies there in his agony, wrecking his brain with their religiosity and their misconstrued theological arguments and thoughts. So Job is getting to a point, as we read in chapter 14, that he's just asking God for peace basically from it all that he gets a fair hearing he looks at things like a tree being chopped down and sees that even at a stump in the ground there's the possibility of life but for a human being that's chopped down there's nothing he sees the vanity of life and he's asking the question where is God in all of this he believes that God has fallen silent he's not listening Maybe it is that he can't hear God because of the racket his friends are making. And that's why Psalm 63 is one which reminds us that God is ever-present. God is with us. O oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Folks, there's one thing that really excites me, and that is the goodness of God. Do you know 
the goodness of God. We were touching on this last week. How good is our God? And that's what he brings out. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So we've been given the contrast of poor Job as we've been reading. Struggling through this theological bombardment by his mates. Of why it is and how it is that he's got everything wrong. And he's been punished as a result. To David, on the other hand, placing his confidence in God. Let me ask you a question. Which are you today? Are you someone who is feeling like Job, bombarded, pushed here and there, wondering where God is in it all? Why has God gone silent? Are you someone like David and you have beheld the glory of God in the sanctuary? Which is it? I'll leave those thoughts with you. Welcome back to Heartlands here on Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. And as I've said, folks... Because we've just gone past St. Patrick's Day and this is kind of like a long extended weekend for St. Patrick this year. I have Pastor Dominic with me and he is going to share with us a short reflection or short insight more so into the history and the life of St. Patrick over this section and the next section of the show. See one of the exciting things is this that when it comes to St. Patrick he is the one who brought Christianity to this island. Long before the Catholic Church was here, long before Protestant churches were here, there was a thing called the Celtic Church. And it began through the work and ministry of St. Patrick when he came here. And that is something that fascinates me, and it's something that we need to explore and consider and look at. As a result, there was a thriving renaissance if you wish a rebirth of interest in celtic christianity around the mid 90s etc and all the rest with various groups such as iona and eden's bridge and whatever doing celtic christian music coming off the back of some of the music that was done by clanad and groups like that but i digress now it is time for us to hand over to Dominic to go and consider the life of St. Patrick. Dominic, thank you so much for coming and let me just leave it with you. Thank you. Let me ask you a question. What does St. Patrick's Day mean to you? Did he really drive out the snakes from Ireland? Was he even a real person? And might there be just some truth behind all the myth and legend from the distant past? What do we know about the man? his roots, and his life. Did he even have a real relationship with God? Maybe this year we can take a little time to concentrate on the realities of the man. Up until the 1970s in Ireland, the 17th of March was just another relatively minor feast day. The priest at Mass would acknowledge it was St. Patrick's Day, and the families might have a larger-than-usual meal that night in honour of Ireland's patron saint. But really, that was about it. The day just passed. However, in the U.S., since the 1800s, strong Irish-American communities hosted banquets in Boston and Savannah and Charleston on Patrick's feast day, the 17th of March. They wanted to celebrate the good work that Irish charitable groups had done for their people and in their local communities. Later, parades became part of the tradition for the 17th, especially in Boston, Philadelphia and Chicago. Yes, 
The saint was certainly being honoured, but ethnic identity was also being confirmed and strong bonds of friendship were being forged. Now, all that having been said, what we do know about the real St. Patrick comes from copies of two sources of his original writings. The first is the confession of Patrick, which is largely an autobiographical account of his life. The second is his personal letter to Caroticus. Patrick was descended from a family that had been, for at least two generations, Christians. We know that because he tells us that his father was the deacon Capernius, son of the late Potitus, a presbyter of the settlement of Banaven Tabernae. We believe that Patrick was born in 373 AD. Some say he lived in Wales, others say England, and still others say Scotland. But it seems clear that he was under Roman control wherever he lived. When he was just 16 years old, 389 AD, Patrick was captured by a band of Irish pirates who sold him as a slave to a local chieftain, Milwick, who lived close to Slamish Mountain in what is now County Antrim, Northern Ireland. For six years, Patrick tended flocks. In his confession, he tells us, I was taken captive before I knew what I should desire and what I should shun. It was during this time that God began to work in him. Isn't it often the hard times that bring us to God? He goes on to say, Before I was humbled, I was like a stone lying in deep mire. And he that is mighty came and in his mercy raised me up and indeed lifted me high up and placed me on top of the wall. And from there, I ought to shout out in gratitude to the Lord for his great favours in this world and forever that the mind of man cannot measure. I wonder, do you know the delight of God getting a hold of your life and how that feels? Patrick, like so many of the godly men of history, was overwhelmed at the incredible riches of God's grace to individuals such as himself. And therefore, he wanted as many people as possible to hear about this amazing grace. It was a constant theme that echoed through the words of his confession. I am greatly God's debtor, he says, because he granted me so much grace. He went on to say, more and more did the love of God and my fear of him and faith increase. And my spirit was moved so that in a day I said from one up to a hundred prayers and in the night a light number. Because, as I now see, the spirit was burning in me at that time. How does God's grace affect you? Patrick relates how after six years he escaped and after a difficult journey over land and sea he eventually returned to his people. In his own words, I was again in Britain with my family and they welcomed me as a son and asked me in faith that after the great tribulations I had endured, I should not go anywhere else away from them. But this was a request that he would not be able to keep. Welcome back to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill, where Dominic has been taking us on a journey through Patrick's life. And before the break... We have been informed that Patrick had made his way home 
and had got back to be with his parents after having been enslaved here in Ireland and then having made good his escape. But we were told that Patrick was not going to be able to fulfil his promise to his parents and stay at home because God had other things in mind. So, before Dominic goes and takes back up the story again, I just want to let you know that after Dominic has shared with us the remainder of the story of St. Patrick, then, in the final section of the show, Reverend Rosemary will be finishing out our time looking at the lectionary scriptures of the day and posing a small challenge to us all through them. Okay, Dominic, it's back to you. Where does Patrick find himself now? Patrick records in his confession that one night in a dream, I saw a man whose name was Victorious coming, as it were, from Ireland with innumerable letters. And he gave me one of them. And I read the beginning of the letter, the voice of the Irish. I seemed at that moment to hear the voices of those who were beside the forest of Falkland, which is near the Western Sea. And they were crying as if with one voice, We beg you, holy youth, that you shall come and shall walk again among us. And I was stung intensely in my heart so that I could read no more, and thus I awoke. Patrick knew that it was the Lord calling him. A still, quiet voice said to him, And he who gave his life for you, he it is who speaks within you. It was quite clear to him that the Lord was sending him back to work as a missionary to the very island where he had once been a slave. He was being enslaved all over again, but this time willingly to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Patrick returned to Ireland in 405 AD, and this is verified by two other sources, Marcus and Ninius. This is important to recognise because there is some confusion with a person called Palladius, who was sent by Pope Celestine in 432 AD to bring the Irish churches under papal control. But note that these Irish churches were already there. But then hadn't Patrick been working for the previous 27 years? It is recorded that Palladius's mission failed and very much discouraged he left for Scotland. But Patrick continued on in what God had given him to do. As he had previously said in his letter to Caroticus, I am a servant in Christ to a foreign nation for the unspeakable glory of life everlasting, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I, Patrick, a sinner, unlearned, resident in Ireland. Maybe this was why he used the simple shamrock to explain the difficult doctrine of three persons in one God, the Trinity. How do you see yourself? And what is your mission and role in life? We believe that Patrick laboured for the Lord about 60 years and clearly under his blessing. He states in his confession, Through me, many people would be reborn in God and soon after confirmed that clergy would be ordained everywhere for them and for the masses lately come to believe 
whom the Lord drew from the ends of the earth. Patrick put into practice what the Bible teaches. Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. By his death, in 461 AD, it is claimed that Patrick had ordained 350 bishops, 500 priests, and saw some 700 churches planted across Ireland, each with a pastor or elder whose authority derived from their service. What an impact his ministry must have had. The island would have been totally transformed as the old pagan ways were driven out. Could this be why he is credited with and pictured as driving out the snakes, demonic symbols, from the island of Ireland? The monasteries that he set up were places where men came to learn the scriptures and then go out to preach, teach and evangelise. These men saw lives, communities and indeed nations changed as the good news of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ was proclaimed and believed. After Patrick's death, others took on the responsibility. Men such as Finian, who was teaching up to 3,000 students in the Abbey of Clonard, County Meath, around 520 AD. One such man, taught by Finian, was St. Kieran, who was eventually to set up the monastery along the Escariata at Clonmacnoise in 534. St. Columba also studied under Finian, and under self-imposed exile, he founded the community on Iona in 563 AD. St. Columba also studied under Finian, and under self-imposed exile, he founded the community on Iona in 563 AD. Indeed, there are claims that it was Irish Christianity that brought civilization out of the Dark Ages, through men like these who travelled with the truth and gossiped the gospel. It really is no wonder then that Ireland became known as the Island of Saints and Scholars. These saints and scholars were, just like Patrick said, granted so much grace. Let's close with some of Patrick's own words from what is now called St. Patrick's breastplate. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. Amen. Here are some thoughts for Sunday in Lent based on the lectionary readings, which are Isaiah 55, 1 to 9. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen, and I will tell you where to get food that is good for the soul. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, for the life of your soul is at stake. I'm ready to make an everlasting covenant with you. 
I will give you all the mercies and unfailing love that I promised to David. He displayed my power by being my witness and a leader among the nations. You also will command the nations, and they will come running to obey, because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the people turn from their wicked deeds. Let them banish from their minds the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord, that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. My thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Psalm 63, 1-8. This is a psalm of David regarding a time when David was in the wilderness of Judah. O oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you, and my whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better to me than life itself. How I praise you. I will honour you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest of foods. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. I think how much you have helped me. I sing for joy in the shadow of your protecting wings. I follow close behind you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 to 13. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, what happened to our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. God guided all of them by sending a cloud that moved along ahead of them, and he brought them all safely through the waters of the sea on dry ground. As followers of Moses, they were all baptised in the cloud and the sea, and all of them ate the same miraculous food, and all of them drank the same miraculous water, for they all drank from the miraculous rock that travelled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet, after all this, God was not pleased with most of them, and he destroyed them in the wilderness. These events happened as a warning to us, so that we would not crave evil things as they did, or worship idols as some of them did. For the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged themselves in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, 
causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble as some of them did, for that is why God sent his angel of death to destroy them. All these events happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the time when this age is drawing to a close. If you think you are standing strong, be careful, for you too may fall into the same sin. But remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you will not give in to it. And Luke chapter 13 verses 1 to 9. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were sacrificing at the temple in Jerusalem. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than other people from Galilee, he asked? Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will also perish unless you turn from your evil ways and turn to God. And what about the eighteen men who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you also will perish. Then Jesus used this illustration. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's taking up space we can use for something else. The gardener answered, Give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertiliser. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, you can cut it down. Refuse at your peril. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. There are times in everyone's life when God seems far away. That could well have been the case for the people in exile in Babylon when Isaiah writes the words we're reading today. If you look at another Psalm, 137, verse 4, they say, How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And yet Isaiah promises a feast of good things for these people, even in their current circumstances. Their exile will end. He'll provide the spiritual sustenance they'll need for returning home. 
In Psalm 63, David, longing for the Lord while he's in the desert of Judah, is also looking forward to being satisfied spiritually with the richest of foods. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, looks back to the time when God's people were in the desert on their way to the promised land. And they too were sustained spiritually. However, not all of them chose to be obedient to God and so failed to benefit, as Exodus often makes clear. God was not pleased with them and they perished in the desert. Paul writes this as a warning to any who think they are immune to temptation. In Luke 13, people interrupt Jesus while he's teaching, as he has been in the previous chapters, to talk about recent incidents in which several people lost their lives. What had they done to deserve to die? Nothing, says Jesus, any more than anyone else. He warns the people, unless you repent, you too will perish unless you turn from your evil ways and turn to God. In other words, if people continue to choose to resist the occupying force, Rome, rather than turning, as repent literally means, towards God, they will reap the consequences of the path they have chosen, similar to these incidents they've been speaking about. Isaiah and Jesus are both urging people to turn to God. The underlying message in both cases is that if they don't, the time may come when they will wish that they had. Like the barren fig tree in Jesus' parable, this is the people's final chance. Life is never perfect. Bad things do happen. What's important is how we respond. We're called to live well in good times and bad. If we turn to God and trust in all circumstances, he whose thoughts and ways are higher than ours may surprise us with his grace. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your patience with me and the many second chances I've had. May I blossom and bear fruit as you would have me do. Amen.